0: You are listening to the Catholic Thinker's Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. In this video, I'd like to talk to you about the divine will and consider a few questions. Can God make a rock that God can't lift? Could the uncaused cause bring about a miracle? If God's will is unchanging, are prayers of petition pointless? And finally, I'd like to consider the question, does God will evil? So can God make a rock that he cannot lift? I remember seeing this question actually in a bathroom stall when I was at Camp Norwester up in the San Juan Islands in the Pacific Northwest. And I immediately didn't know what to think about this because I thought, well, if God can make a rock that he can't lift, well, then something is more powerful than God. But then on the other hand, I thought if God cannot make a rock he can't lift, well, then God is not really omnipotent. He's not really all powerful. And so I was really confused and it got me thinking and I thought about that question for a long time and I couldn't figure out an answer. A similar puzzle arises from thinking about the idea of divine destruction So, can God destroy himself? If God can destroy himself, well, then he's not eternal. And Aquinas thinks that God is eternal. On the other hand, if God cannot destroy himself, well, then is God's will really omnipotent? So, it seems to—this question, can God destroy himself, seems to lead to problems either with God's being eternal— or with God's being omnipotent. So Aquinas' answer to this, I only found years later after I saw that question written on the bathroom wall, chapter 84, that Thomas Aquinas provides principles that allow us to think about these questions. This chapter is addressing whether God can will what is impossible. And here's what Aquinas says. If God wills something other than himself, he wills it with necessity of supposition. So that is the necessity I talked about earlier, where if Socrates is running, then his legs are moving. Or if there are human beings, then there are rational animals. But certain things would contradict the divine will. Could they be willed? In other words, if God wills that man be rational... God would be contradicting his own will if he were to also will that man not be rational. The idea, in other words, is if God wills something, then God would be contradicting himself if he also willed something contrary to what he wills. So if he wills that human beings are free, then God would contradict himself if he also willed that human beings not be free. So it's not as if there's a logic book that is above God that determines what God can and cannot do. It's rather that God does not contradict himself. God doesn't will that a human being is free and also at the same time and in the same respect will that a human being not be free. Now you might say, well, look, why can't God do that? I mean, we can certainly will things that go against ourselves. In fact, I do this, unfortunately, on a regular basis. I will to be healthy, but I also will to eat unhealthy food. And so I contradict myself. As human beings, of course, we can contradict ourselves, and we do contradict ourselves all the time. But Aquinas thinks that this is not something that can happen for God. Why do we contradict ourselves? Well, we can actually locate the source of the contradiction within ourselves in our own brains. So there is part of my brain, let's call it the prefrontal cortex, that acts in a rational way. And that part of me wills to be healthy. But there's another part of me, you might call it the lizard brain, the part of us that is uh, seeking bodily pleasure in unreasonable ways. And that part of me wants to eat fatty, salty, unhealthy food. So the reason that part of me, or the reason that I can contradict myself, is that part of me can be set against another part of me. The rational prefrontal cortex part of myself against the irrational lizard brain part of myself. But you recall from what I've said earlier, that in God, there are not parts. God is not a being who is composed. Now, if that's correct, well, then part of God could never be in conflict with another part of God. I mean, if God has no parts, of course, the parts can't be in conflict with each other. So this is exactly Aquinas' view, that God is a being of pure actuality, perfect activity. And so in God, there are not parts. There's not part this and part that. And so in God, there could never be A part of God, namely God's will, set in opposition to another part of God, another aspect of God's will. Moreover, Aquinas says that God cannot will that which is opposed to being itself, for he is the cause of being, but the impossible is opposed to being as such. So God wills in accordance with who God is. God exists, and God is the cause of being. But what is impossible, like a square circle, is in itself opposed to being. And so since God wills in accordance with himself, and God is perfect being, God doesn't will the impossible. So again, the idea is not that there's a logic book above God that's dictating to God what God can and cannot do, but rather that God wills in accordance with his own reality. Aquinas provides another reason that God cannot will the impossible. He says that the will is of the understood good, but the impossible cannot be understood, cannot be an understood good. Let me try to explain this. Before we will anything, we have to first understand it. If I will to go get a glass of water, I have to understand that there's a good out there, namely water, that I could get. So before we will anything, we first must understand it, and it must be something that's understood as good but what is impossible cannot be understood. You can't understand, say, what a square circle is. It's not a possible thing you can know. I mean, we can say the words square circle, but you can't really understand it. It's not a possible thing. And if it cannot be understood, it cannot be an understood good, but if it can't be an understood good, it can't be the object of the will. And so, God can't will what is impossible, because to will the impossible would be to will what is an understood good, but what's impossible can never be an understood good. Aquinas provides another reason for thinking that God cannot will the impossible. God's will is of the good, and for Aquinas, as you know, good and being are convertible. What is evil but a lack of due perfection, and so for an individual to have the fullness of being, the fullness of everything it can and ought to have is for that being to be good. Non-being is not a good, but if non-being is not a good, it can't be willed as a good. And God's will is always of the good. So the idea here is not that God is bound by a heavenly logic book, but rather to will the impossible would be to will against the divine being against the divine understanding, against the divine will, and against the divine goodness. So because God is consistent with himself, God cannot will what is impossible. So how does that help us to answer this question, can God make a rock that he cannot lift? Well, I think maybe the answer might be this, that God cannot make a rock that he can't lift. And the reason would be if God could make a rock that he couldn't lift, that rock would be greater than God in some respect, but it's impossible that anything could be greater than God. And so it's impossible to make a rock that's greater than God in any respect. And so God cannot make a rock that God cannot lift. And what about the issue of divine destruction? Could God destroy himself? Well, I can certainly destroy myself. But could God destroy himself? Well, Aquinas' answer is that God cannot destroy himself. If God can destroy himself, then he would not be eternal, right? To be eternal means that you're incapable of going out of existence, of ending, having your existence come to an end. And God is eternal, so God can't destroy himself. God's will is omnipotent. And to be omnipotent means to be omni, namely all potent, that is able to do all possible things. But divine destruction is not possible. That's something that can't be. So God can't, for instance, not know himself. God must know himself. Now, I can get amnesia, yeah, but that reflects the weakness of being a human being. I'm a composed being, I'm a being that can be uh, influenced by diseases and destroyed. And so that reflects something of my weakness, something of the fact that I'm not an omnipotent being. And in a similar way, the fact that God must know himself reflects something of the greatness of God. I can be ignorant. I can not know myself. I could get Alzheimer's disease and not know who I am, but that kind of thing cannot happen to God. And likewise, out of weakness, I could kill myself. But God can't do that. And again, that's not a reflection of God not having power. It's a reflection of God's perfect power. So God can do all possible things, but some things are not possible, like a square circle, or like God not knowing himself, or like God destroying himself. So in an earlier video, I talked about this problem of petitionary prayer. That is, if God is really unchanging, then what sense, if any, does it make to ask God to do anything? But many common prayers, like the Our Father, are asking God to do something. Give us this day our daily bread. Many people pray and they ask God to help others. But if God is really unchanging, God's mind is unchanging and God's will is unchanging, well then petitionary prayers would seem to make no difference. So if God's will is unchangeable, then it seems that prayer of petition, like God, please heal my friend's disease, make no sense. Either God from all eternity wills to heal the friend or not. If God wills from all eternity to heal the friend, then the prayer makes no difference. God would have done it anyway. If God from all eternity wills not to heal the friend, well, then the prayer also makes no difference because God's will is not changed by the prayer. Either way, prayer or petition seems not to make any difference. Now, how would Aquinas respond to this problem? Well, I think he might say the following. If God knows all things, well, then God knows from all eternity whether or not you will pray. God can then, from all eternity, take this prayer into account. So God would know that I'm going to pray, give us this day our daily bread or God would know from the very beginning that I'm going to pray that this person gets healed. And then God could will from all eternity to do certain things on condition that we pray for them. Now, why would God do this? Well, if it's true that God wants to be in a relationship with us, if it's true that God wants us to be a particular kind of person, well, then God might arrange the universe such that, we are granted certain things on condition that we pray for them. Parents do this all the time. Sometimes I will, in my mind, think, I will give my child ice cream if, and only if, the child says, please. If the child comes up to me and says, give me the ice cream, dad, I'm gonna say no. On the other hand, if the kid comes up to me, my, my daughter comes up to me and says, please, can I have a bowl of ice cream? Well, if she says, please, I've decided before she even asks that I will give her the ice cream. Now, why do I do that? I do that because I hope to raise kids that are courteous and that are polite. And if I teach them that they will get ice cream, if they say please, well, hopefully that will ingrain in them a habit of being courteous and polite. And that's the kind of kids that I want to raise. And so God wants, on Aquinas' view, to encourage us to turn to God in times of need. God wants to encourage us to pray. And so God wills from all eternity to grant certain things on condition that we pray for them. Now, this is not automatic. In other words, sometimes we might pray for something and what we pray for, in fact, does not come to pass. And the same thing is true about, say, when I was giving my kids ice cream. Would I give my kids ice cream every single time they asked for it so long as they said, please? Well, no. I mean, sometimes my kids might ask for ice cream immediately before dinner, and they might say, please. And I might say, despite their saying, please, no, I'm not going to give you any ice cream right now because I know we're about to eat dinner. And if you just eat ice cream, you won't get all the healthy nutrients that you're going to get from dinner. So just as a parent sometimes knows better than a child about whether or not to grant a petition for ice cream, so too, on Aquinas' view, God knows better than human beings about what things to grant and what things not to grant when we pray for them. But Aquinas' view would be this, that God wills to give us some things if we pray for them. Now, what those things are might be a little bit hard to know, but God wills to grant us certain things if we pray for them. And the reason God does this is that God wants us to be in a relationship with Him. God wants us to be a certain kind of person Namely, a person who turns to God in prayer in times of need. Now, the God of Abraham, the God of Scripture, clearly wills miracles. There are many cases in the Bible of miracles taking place, like, for instance, the burning bush, which is burning and doesn't get consumed, right? Moses is amazed by this, because normally, of course, when a bush is burning, it gets burned up. And there are many, many other kinds of miracles, of course, in Scripture. So the question I'd like to consider is, could the uncaused cause will a miracle? Well, the uncaused cause has a will, at least if Aquinas' arguments are right, but could the uncaused cause will a miracle? Like, say, the parting of the Red Sea, or like, say, sending an angel to a virgin and the virgin becoming pregnant. Could the uncaused cause will a miracle, like, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Well, in philosophy, there's such a thing as an a fortiori argument, the argument from the stronger, and the idea is something like this: if you have a weightlifter who can lift 500 pounds over his head, well, then that weightlifter can also lift a hundred pounds over his head. In other words, if I'm strong enough to do uh, to high jump 10 feet, well, then I'm strong enough to high jump five feet. If I can do this stronger, I can do the weaker thing. So that's an argument of fortiori. So if God is powerful enough to bring about the greater thing, then God is powerful enough to bring about the lesser thing. So if God is powerful enough to create the order of nature out of nothing, well, then God is powerful enough to change the order of nature. If God is powerful enough to make all time, all space, and all matter from nothing, well then God is powerful enough to make the Virgin Mary have a baby. If God is powerful enough to make all time, all space, and all matter out of nothing, then God is powerful enough to make Jesus rise from the dead. On Aquinas' view, God is indeed powerful enough to make all time, all space, and all matter out of nothing. And so God is powerful enough to change the order of nature and to cause miracles. Could God will evil? Aquinas' view on this is that God cannot will evil. The will never aims at evil without some error existing in the reason, at least with respect to a particular object of choice. So Aquinas thinks that when we will something, we're willing it as good. So if I will to exercise, I'm willing it as something maybe that helps me get in shape. If I will to eat a big bowl of ice cream, I'm also aiming at something that at least appears to me at the moment to be good, namely to taste something that's very good to eat. So when I will something, I'm aiming at something that at least to me appears to be good. Now, I can be mistaken. I might will something that appears to me to be good, say the ice cream, but maybe I'm mistaken, and I'm not thinking very clearly, and in fact, the ice cream is going to be really bad for me and cause my blood pressure to be really high or something. So the object of the will is the apprehended good, and the will cannot aim at evil unless in some way it is presupposed to it as a good. And this can't take place without error. So in other words, if you think about an evil act, like, say, someone murdering someone, well, the killer at the time of the murder is mistakenly thinking about killing this innocent person as something good. Now, this is a horrible mistake. In fact, it's not good, all things considered, in fact, to kill someone. But the killer in the middle of killing the innocent victim is mistakenly understanding killing this person as something good. But the divine knowledge, of course, could never be in error, as we've talked about earlier, that God, as the first cause, knows himself perfectly and knows everything that he causes. And so God's knowledge of himself is perfect. That is to say, the divine mind and the divine being are the very same thing. And God's knowledge of the created order is also perfect, because the created order arises from God, and God knows himself as first cause, and therefore knows what he creates. And so the divine knowledge could never, in any respect, be wrong or be an error. But everyone who wills evil is in error and is mistaken in some way. So God cannot will what is evil, because to will what is evil would be for God to presuppose something that is mistakenly taken to be good, when in fact it's not good, but God's mind could never be mistaken. Aquinas also argues, as you know, that God is the highest good. Or recall that Aquinas thinks that God is perfectly good in every respect. God is not a combination of good and evil. God is not, in other words, like the Force in Star Wars. And the reason that Aquinas thinks that God can't be composed of partly good and partly evil is that things that are composed can, in principle, be decomposed, be taken apart. But if God could be decomposed and taken apart, God would not be eternal. And if God were not eternal, God would not be the necessary being. But for reasons we've talked about earlier, God is the necessary being. God is not composed because whatever is composed requires a composer. But if God is really the first cause, there's nothing composing God. So God is not a combination of good and evil. God, rather, is perfect goodness, the highest goodness. Now, if God is really the highest goodness, could God will evil? Well, the highest good cannot bear any mingling at all with evil, as neither could the highest hot thing bear any mingling with the cold. The divine will, therefore, cannot be turned to evil. God's will is only of the good. And that reflects also what scripture teaches, that God is faithful without any iniquity. Aquinas' idea is that God is perfect goodness and therefore is incapable, cannot will evil. Now, this makes the problem of suffering more difficult. How can we explain then the reality that there is suffering in the world, that there is evil in the world? Well, Aquinas' view can't be it can't be that God is willing the evil in itself. So if Aquinas is right that Jesus is God, and if he's right that the human will is not like the divine will, well then does Jesus will like God? Does he have one eternal act of the will? Or does Jesus will like a human being with multiple acts of the will? If Aquinas is right that Jesus is God, well then is Aquinas wrong that God does not have a body? These are some of the challenges and questions that we have raised for Thomas's view. If Aquinas is right that Jesus is God, well, then is Aquinas wrong that an eternal God has no potency to suffer and die? So Aquinas seems to have a certain problematic aspects to his thought. It seems at first glance, at least, that Aquinas is contradicting himself. So next time what we're going to do is we're going to consider some of these challenges, some of these objections to Aquinas, and we'll consider whether in the end Aquinas successfully executes his plan to show that there can be reasonable faith and faithful reason, that faith and reason are ultimately not opposed. So next time we'll continue our discussion of these issues. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers.